Hi, it's uh, Devon, the editor, and if you're hearing me at the start of this episode, that means something has occurred. Fortunately, this is a very simple thing. Uh, Phoebe's computer fully shut down and she was unable to return. So at about the halfway point of this episode, you will suddenly find yourself Phoebe-less. Do not despair, she will return in the bonus. Hello and welcome to this episode of 10,000 Posts, the show about how everything is posting. Uh, before we get into the intros, just a bit of a content warning. Uh, on this episode, we're going to talk about some sensitive issues. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, misogynistic violence, uh, just physical violence generally. Um, Phoebe, you had a better you had a better way of framing this. I'm sorry. Uh, that's that's fine. That, we can leave that okay. as a content warning. We're going to be we're going to be talking about incels and misogynist and racist violence. So if that doesn't yeah. if that doesn't if that doesn't feel like something that you're currently capable of of coping that well with, then then do please just listen to something something else. Yeah, you could listen to. Uh, we have a lot of other episodes that don't cover that stuff on our Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash 10k post podcast. We also have a lot of in- really good content that doesn't talk about any of that stuff on our free feed. Uh, so check that out as well on anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, if you're here for the first time and you want to listen and you're interested in this subject, my name is Hussein. You can follow me at hkizvani on twitter.com. My name is Phoebe. You can follow me on Twitter at prhroy. Uh, and we're joined this week by Emmy uh, uh, Conley, who you might know as a gamer girl writes on Twitter. Uh, her work uh, as a, her work is kind of focused on research around digital culture and far right communities. It's very very good. Emmy, uh, how's it going? And welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, I've been like following your work for like a while and like, it's kind of, it's really, um, I think like as a kind of must follow for people who are sort of interested in, uh, this space, I know, I, I guess like contemporary debates around like radicalization and how internet culture and specifically like very kind of what is sort of still considered to be like quite niche internet culture fits into, uh, how we're sort of like conceptualizing radicalization now. Um, and we'll sort of get into that in uh in in uh in the main bits of the episode when we have a new guest on though we do uh what we do usually ask them like if there's a post in mind that they would like to talk about um many guests when i ask them questions are like oh we don't really know too much except for like you know ones that, and then you know so they'll sort of ask us to do it but you gave me a lot to choose from <laughs> which is like re- which is really really nice um and sort of you know it's, it's very you know when you sent me that list i was i was like mumbling like one of us one of us <laughs> um so i chose like two things that i thought would be like fairly light-hearted but um quite uh interesting to talk about the first um and funnily enough i i interpreted uh this wrong first is fat bear week um and yeah, I've seen a lot of fat bears on my timeline recently. I I have seen some fat bear shaming, which is why I initially thought that this was like a fat shaming hashtag about bears. But apparently it's not. Um, could you tell us uh, why? Uh, yeah. What what drew you to draw uh, drew you to propose uh, fat bear week for uh, the start of the show? Well, you know, it's been a really powerful week for for posting we've had we've had a lot of a lot of hot takes a lot of uh, a lot of timeline melting content uh but there is one glowing positive there is one thing that's very fun very wholesome and that is the yearly fat bear week from october 5th to october 11th run by uh the national park service uh, one of the alaska national parks every year keeps a like 
March Madness bracket of all of the, mm. the known bears prepping for hibernation. And the internet gets to track, watch, and vote on their favorite fat bears as they, uh, you know, try to try to try to bulk up to take a very long winter nap. Um, it is it is one of my favorite, you know, not to sound too professional. It's one of my favorite examples of uh, public communications from the from the United States government. Mm. Um, but it is also just a delightful week online of people sharing their favorite fat bears. And I do think that people should spend more time looking at very good bear JPEGs rather than all of the other things that happen all the time. I, I, mm. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. Fat bear week is my favorite. It's simply my favorite time of the year. Um, and, uh, this, and on this year as well, it, uh, the start of fat bear week, uh, coincided with, um, coincided with Yom Kippur and I was fasting and obviously, you know, atoning and reflecting and praying etc but I kept like sneaking looks at the fat bears because even though I wasn't eating I was very happy that they have been eating (laughs) yeah yeah very sweet very sweet they're all just they're all just so nice they're such nice wonderful creatures and like and I know we're not going to be like dwelling on fat bear week because that's not the topic of the episode. And uh, if nothing else, then there might be like a little bit of a <laughs> an about turn in in tone when we mm. move from fat bear week to the actual topic of this week's episode. Um, but I think it's I think it's a very important I think it's a very important moment in posting. And I also think it's really nice for there to be something which is truly pure and truly wholesome, which doesn't get co opted by the wholesome people and we talked mm. a bit about the wholesome people wholesome with a cat with a capital w we talked a bit about the wholesome people last week yeah and i don't i don't care for the wholesome people i think that they they're very very keen to uh they're very very keen to project their feeling about what makes a rich famous person wholesome onto onto the ra- onto the rest of us this is what we said last week like there's nothing worse for a person in the public eye than, than for their fan base to decide that they're wholesome and there's something about there's something about wholesome posting i just if you're being wholesome you don't need to label it as such that's no, it's a very my, twee i i hate it so, yeah it's very tw- it's very twee it's very kind of oh i'm taking a whole i'm taking a wholesome little silly walk today look just go on your walk show me show me the pictures of the trees you've taken show me the snacks you've bought fine i like all that don't call yourself wholesome it is not a self-declarative thing no is I, it more I, of a case I that hate, people have to declare you to be wholesome i hate wholesome as a performance art just as much as i hate mm. edgy as a performance art uh, it just reeks of being like disingenuous and it, it it both makes me very uncomfortable and it is it is cringe in in like an existential way like it makes me feel like i'm not in my body anymore when i look at it <laughs> uh but i will not let them take uh fat bear 480 yep. mr otis from me and we will see if he keeps his title as reigning fat bear champion tomorrow on yeah, fat bear tuesday he, yeah because he, yeah, he's been he's been uh, the the top fat bear since like for the past four years, right? He has, he has. Although I think he's no, I think he's out of the competition. I think it's 
between 747 Widebody and Holly now. That was what, I, uh, that was I, what it said. Hang on. I, let, just make sure I'm not just like spreading fake news. Hang on. Yeah. Can't believe you're doing disinformation on Fat Bear Week. (laughs) I'm doing disinformation on Fat Bear Week. And in fact, there was a little bit of disinformation where somebody was posting a picture of Osis, but it wasn't Osis. It was a different bear. (sighs) You've got to do your own research, people. Yeah. I was, because I I was (laughs) thinking, is there there the possibility of a cheating scandal when it comes to fat bears? Interesting. Um, Are they going to pull weights out of the bears like the fish? The fish yeah. candle. Are there people yeah, out there who are that. like trying to bulk up Otis and like leaving porridge out for him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm, it's uh, me. I'm the one mm. rigging the fat bear it's week. Me. It's me doing it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you're the one feeding uh feeding the bears the fish with the weights in, right? Yeah. That's actually the biggest yeah, that's actually like it all kind of like goes to the top. There's like a pit, like there's a pyramid structure behind all this. Um, also, and it ultimately, yeah. Fat, fat Bear Week is another really, really great time. Um, if this is like, if this is your kind of thing, if you are somebody who likes to send pictures of nice Chris's to someone you're romantically involved with, with the caption "This is you," Fat Bear Week is the is the absolute golden time of year for doing that. It's better than Valentine's. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Compelling. So, I've got well, I've I've got well, I have got I have got a lot of pictures in my WhatsApp at the moment of different fat bears with the caption this is this is this is you. <laughs> There's a really good one of one of them just like just absolutely housing some salmon um mm. which my which my boyfriend sent me with the, with the this you caption and yeah it's it's simply the most wonderful time of the year. I was actually thinking just on the note of like animal kind of content and you know how like I think animal content is always like has always been like one of the most popular forms of content like you know for since kind of like internet's kind of like become a thing right um and I sort of remember back in the day when you know the website that kind of like really kind of monetized this love of animal content happened to be uh, my beloved buzzfeed.com um which love to do like you know obviously becoming famous for like you know the kind of uh the cat lists and everything but also sort of like appropriating we're using like dogs and stuff as well and i'm looking through the fat the the fat bear stuff on twitter and there is no buzzfeed at all it really is like an end of an era because i think they would have really lapped up this stuff Mm. like there would have been like a fat bear week there would have been as in like there would have been like an official fat bear week uh there would have been like loads of fat bear content i'm sure the try guys would have done something with like a fat bear at some point but it's just complete yeah, but there's like no, there's actually like none of these like content factories have taken on the fat bear and tried to sort of monetize it. And I wonder whether there's like something about, um, yeah, I, I don't know whether there's like something just whether that sort of whether that symbolizes anything in terms of like the death of a certain kind of content or even just like a return back to, I again, I don't know whether wholesome is the right word, but kind of like just stuff where you can enjoy the fat bear without it sort of being attached to any kind of brand. Well, I think there's definitely still branding about it. There's there's no way to avoid that. But I will say that the transition over the last 10 years where people whose job was like, you know, quote unquote, digital reporting, I mean, they were basically gossip columnists, right? Here's what Twitter is talking about mm-hmm. this week. 
but now, unfortunately, that knowledge and that type of reporting, here's what Twitter is talking about this week, is a matter of like national importance and uh, international politics. So what Twitter is talking about this week is like, uh, Jesus Christ, look at look at Kanye's posts. Oh, God. Uh, mm. the, that genre of content 10 years ago would have been like a listicle of like top 10 funniest replies to, to Kanye doing anti-Semitism. And now it's like, uh, he has the ear of the former president. <laughs> we like that, the, the, the people whose job it was to, to look at everybody's like favorite Twitter cat of the day are, are now national security reporters, whether or not they know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right that's actually good yeah that's an interesting way of looking at it actually um yeah maybe we'll come back to that like in when we sort of like go to the go to like the sort of main bit of the episode because i do have some thoughts about like that sort of content transition um but before we get to that i do want to like touch on one more thing uh which is another post that you sent us emmy uh and you know initially we were just going to do one but then uh, you sent me the line, Neil deGrasse Tyson is posting about Avatar. And I was like, yep, we're doing that today. Um, yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson is posting about Avatar. Uh, he did this tweet. Um, how do I kind of describe it? He did this tweet, which said blue lives matter. And then in the picture, uh, showing um, the two main Navi from Avatar, which kind of goes to show how much I know about the film Avatar. Uh and how much I've been lying about being one of the biggest Avatar heads uh, in the country when I, in fact, can't actually remember most of the story behind the <laughs> film. Um, I mean, can you tell us why, 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 why this sort of was a standout for you as well? Well, uh, when, it, when, when Neil deGrasse Tyson first posted his now infamous Blue Lives Matter tweet, uh, a buddy of mine sent it to me with no commentary. And <laughs> when I read it, I had to sit down. Um, because it, it, it did, it did something to my brain that like caused like a hard reset where I, <laughs> I, I blacked out for a second and then I woke up and I was like still looking at the tweet. Um, it, it it's powerful on a lot of, on a lot of levels. Um, I, I, I have no interest in even beginning to explain how and why it's offensive. I feel like that's intuitive. And if it isn't, then like, I don't know why you're listening yeah. to this show. Um, but everything about the 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 story there, his decision to compose the tweet, his choice to then hit post on the tweet, the the duration of time that it stayed up on Twitter while it gathered replies, half of which were like, "I how dare you, sir," and then the other half, which were all avatar porn, um, <laughs> was was itself a phenomenon um he 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 is such a a a character online anyway now i mean i grew up with neil degrasse tyson i was i was actually fun fact about me i was an astrophysics major for two miserable years and oh, did part you, of the reason do you not like it was it not was it oh my that, god i that love that space. to me sounds so fun <laughs> oh my god it's so mm. cool and you think it's great and then you are in like a differential equations class at like eight in the morning and there's 300 other miserable people in it. And you're like, maybe, maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And then you change your whole life and then you start ending up on podcasts and it's like, whoops. Um, but part <laughs> of the reason that I was doing that was because I was such a big Neil deGrasse Tyson fan as a kid. Um, I was, 
I was one of the original heartbroken uh, Pluto stands when he was part of the people who were like, that's actually not a planet. And he is unfortunately right. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I saw him speak as a kid. He was part of all my favorite documentaries as a kid. I was like a big, big freaking dork about that guy and his stupid space vest and his whole deal. And then I got, uh, I reached adulthood and then I started reading his tweets. I was like, oh no, um, this guy is the worst actually. Uh, because all of his mm. posts that were that were for a certain era of, of online were like very uh, whiskey Reddit atheist guy. Like, oh, if, if, if your fun fact was true, then <laughs> you're I'm going to do science at you. And uh, yeah, I, his, his tweets were the tenor of somebody who knew he couldn't be stuffed in a locker from his current mm. position. <laughs> um, and he was like mocking everybody for it. And, and part of me, part of me respects the bit. Like I respected the bit up until a point. Cause I'm like, you, he knows that everybody's sick of him and he will not stop. Um, mm. At this point, he is one, I consider him one of the all time great posters because of his dedication to the bit. Um, he will he will never stop posting um his his like yearly jokes for every holiday for happy christmas for those who celebrate for those who don't happy thursday fucking got him again neil you'll <laughs> never see that one coming you wow. oh, so he's like so he's like doing various instances of like the clarkson the jeremy clarkson tweet whenever like exam results come out where like he starts just talking about how um, I got really bad grades and now I'm on a boat situation. It's just like sort of doing renditions of that. Yeah, he's just like, he sucks. And at first that made me hate him. But now I kind of like him now that I know he sucks and he knows he sucks. And he's not mm-hmm. stopping. He's like, I, he's like, I do this because I know it makes you all mad. And now it's fun again. Now it's fun again for me when he does just a just a dog shit post yeah. like this and i'm like you you knew exactly what you were doing and the response was exactly what mm. you expected except for neil as a you know regular type of of old nerd w- was not actually ready he he expected to get only the hashtag resist i implore you sir how could you tweet this type responses and he was for sure not ready for the avatar porn i know for a <laughs> fact that man opened his mentions and was like oh man um yeah it's sort of um not credit i do i do want to like because i the reason why i added these to the notes was also just because the replies to this tweet are very very funny not because they're trying to be funny per se but so um less keen listeners to this show will know that when uh the queen passed away i got into a bit of trouble for posting uh that she would be missing uh avatar the way of water which comes out at the end of the year um, and I had a lot of people get mad at me saying, you know, standard stuff like, you know, was this really appropriate to post right now? Like, you know, show some respect, etc. But by far, the most replies that I got from that post were from people who either were so mad at me for being like, Avatar's a really bad film. Why would she be interested in seeing the sequel of it when the first one was so bad against people who actually thought the Avatar film was really good? Um, and they felt that I was disrespecting the, the, as in, I was making fun of the franchise because 
actually the franchise is good. And what ended up happening before I deleted that post, like a couple of hours after I did it, Coward. was kind of like this full on war between, I know, I know, I know. But, you know, I've, I, I, I'm now in my first season. I have to, you know, uh, show that uh, I'm growing as a person. But what I found, like, just as, just before I deleted it, were two warring factions of basically, like, people who were fans of Avatar and people who hated it so much, especially those who had to fork out the extra for those 3D glasses you got back in, like, 2008 or wherever the film came out. And so there seems to be this weird kind of like somewhat ironic, but also very serious avatar fandom um, that I think whenever you post about it, you're not really aware exists until you are confronted with it. And I think that's like, to me, that's really funny. Yeah. Shadow war happening beyond your perception. Um, Every now and then you do run into one of those online and it's always very fun. You learn about a discourse that you have nothing to do with. And it's like, wow, uh, beautiful. It's like watching uh, two, two like, large lions fight in a nature documentary like that has nothing to do with me but it's crazy that i'm watching it um, <laughs> i i yeah. i love that i love i love the avatar and i love i love every now and then when you find something that you like there's a weird nerd for everything there's a weird nerd of a hill to die on for literally every piece of media and every topic but avatar is maybe my favorite one um because mm. whenever i when i i know nothing about avatar you could make up the entire plot of Avatar to me and make up the characters' names, make up the discourse. And I'd be like, sure, that sounds true. I, I never saw the movie. I never yeah. will. Um, I'll maybe watch a third of it on a plane. Like, But the guy in front of me is watching it. So I like have no sound. And I'm like kind of reading the captions. Like that's the best I'm going to get for like my knowledge of Avatar. <laughs> and I'm totally yeah. fine with that because the context I pick up from other people being mad about Avatar is way better than anything that movie could provide me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine that it's going to get a lot worse as we sort of get towards the end of the year. I'm very excited for it. Just like one final observation, uh, unless anyone else has anything to say on Avatar, which is that apparently there's like a bunch of Avatar lore as well. So like as you go further down as Neil deGrasse's comments, uh, you will find people who like are furiously kind of like arguing about the origins of the Navi, which are the kind of like the, you know, the, the, um, I don't want to say the avatars, but just like the, the I, I also don't want to offend anyone, but basically like the people who live on Pandora or the, 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 the beings that live on Pandora, uh, the Navi, there apparently is like a very long history about that, which is kind of all basically, or it seems to sort of been discovered by fans and is in like wiki pages and everything. And as you go further down into Neil deGrasse, uh, Tyson's comments, you will find people who like are debating with each other about the terminology and whether you can call um, a Pandora resident uh, blue. And I think, again, that's also very, very funny to me. No, that does sound exactly the kind of thing that people who like the Queen would argue about. Now, I'm American, um, so I, I spent that day liking tweets that were like uh, a, a second plane that hit the Queen um because i'm a sicko and that, mm. that shit's funny we did a whole war about this i don't have to i don't have to care about the queen i should be firing a musket into the air but the the idea that there's like an overlap between like hardcore avatar avatar lore understanders and like monarchists is uh for a movie that i'm pretty sure is about colonization i think um yes again yeah haven't watched it's a it. very lukewarm critique yeah yeah uh, it's a very lukewarm critique of epic. yeah uh, I love it. I'm 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 obsessed with the knowledge that this group of people exists. I want to put them all in a little zoo and observe them. I want to like put them in a jar and like look at them <laughs> under a microscope. And I want to I want to like hook them up to an MRI and like see what parts of their brain light up when they tweet. 
Um, yeah, which one's like a blue whenever you're thinking about? Uh, yeah, yeah. I want I want to find out exactly what neural pathways exist in a person to make that type of personality. I'm like fascinated by it. Yeah, I'm sure Neil deGrasse Tyson is as well. That's what I'm asking. Yeah, if he's um, doing a true social well, experiment, yeah. I have to hand it to him. I mean, he sucks, so you hate to have to mm. hand it to him. But no, I mean, you all got got you. You bit on an avatar bait tweet and fought in the replies. I mean, he got you. I am not handing anything to Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm sorry, but um, yeah, he might be. He might be doing a bit. We've spoken about Neil deGrasse before, and like how you know, um, bearing in mind that there are still allegations against him that uh, I am not going to go into in any detail. But yeah, uh, definitely one of those. Uh, not going to hand it to him, even if he is doing a bit, which is sort of somewhat like uh, meta. I don't know. I don't know. Um, no, he doesn't get. He uh, doesn't get like you know. You don't get to hand it to him for doing the bit, but I do have to look at all the people who fell for the bit and be like, okay, man, that is on you. Mm. Sure. Okay, well, let's see how he posts uh, as we head towards December. A couple of months, uh, Avatar Fever's coming, um, and it's going to, yeah, it's going to save the way, it's going to save uh, Western economies. So let's Avatar see what his responses are. Sweeping the that. nation. <laughs> Everyone is. Is. so excited about these <laughs> cool uh, blue people. If you're even allowed to say that anymore in today's mm. uh, woke communism, that's right. You can't say it. That's that was actually part of his yeah. conversation in his mentions. Okay, I, okay. I, I, I do let, have a question yeah. before we yes, go, go on. on. Did uh, did Neil deGrasse Tyson tweet about the Queen? Um, because I would quite like to hear what his feedback is on the. On the drawing of Paddington. Yeah. Um something to look up. I'm not gonna look it up right now. Okay. Um, because I can't don't know what his ass is. Okay, but well that's a, yeah. that's a, that's uh, you know, that's some research for you to do at home. So uh listeners <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's if your you homework. Just have that on our desk by next week. That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, that's your homework. Uh bonus points if uh yeah, bonus points if you can uh find avatar related content in those tweets uh of our unrelated bonus, bonus um, points if you manage to explain it succinctly yes that too um okay so let's uh let's get on to like some serious stuff uh because uh i mean i we invited you onto this show because something that we've spoken about uh in passing actually like quite a while ago is just like i, I think like one of the themes when we were thinking about doing the show was about looking at posts as sort of literary texts and like how to kind of interpret them and how to like interpret them as they sort of exist in digital space and as they move through digital space. Um, and then similarly, uh, over the past kind of few years, like one of the things that's been very, that has become a lot more common is the idea of like, um, interpreting a manifesto and like what that sort of entails in a much more uh in a much broader digital economy but also one that is much more complicated and you wrote this piece recently for uh, logically about um yeah about like how to report on manifestos but also looking at how media outlets and researchers were interpreting manifestos in ways that kind of like sometimes were sort of like taking the bait for lack of a better word uh or like better phrase but also they were just like not really sure what to do with these documents that kind of like where not only sort of incorporated uh um like high like hyper ironic like often like right-wing references uh and internet memes but also would sort of shift between being very serious and being um the, to, to like to like being quite overtly stupid um i guess like as a starting point i sort of wanted to ask you about 
uh, your general work in the space? What has like drawn you to like write about this subject? And also, cause you like post about this stuff a lot, like what kind of, um, yeah, like maybe, maybe it's like a posted, like a small history of like how we like, how we sort of get from like manifestos, which, um, are definitely trying to sort of like, uh, but maybe like definitely trying to like sort of spread the radicalization to ones that are sort of be sort of exist in order to kind of interact with an existing media system. Loaded question. Um, so I, my background is in um, communications and uh, all of my work in communications was applied to the study of propaganda and multimedia marketing, which are the same thing. Just one is, has a has a buzzword attached to it um and uh understanding how certain types of media especially you know digitally how different types of production different uh, production choices uh contribute to making a piece of uh, persuasive content and that turned out to be really really important for studying like online propaganda recruitment videos manifestos mm. that entire that entire genre of how do i convince another person to uh join with me and as it turned out, like that was a really simplistic view of looking at a lot of this, this type of content. Um, it has a lot of different target audiences. It has a lot of different intentions. It has different layers for different types of readers. It, it is a it is a mistake to analyze any one thing um, through a singular framework. The manifesto, as a you know, as an artifact or whatever, uh, has always been a really important. A really important thing. I mean, even the word manifesto, similar to like the word terrorism, is a, is a really loaded phrase that comes with a lot of a lot of implications. But but generally, there is a there is a there's a format to political violence, right? Uh, when you do an act of communicative violence, violence that is not you know focused at a at a practical or, or a tactical target, but is meant to you know be a larger threat or communicate something about your intentions or motivations. If that thing is misinterpreted, it doesn't work. So the mm. thing you pair it with is a piece of writing that explains who and what you are and why you did it. And for a while, um, the act of terrorism was was more than just putting your money where your mouth is, as far as the manifesto. But pre-internet, if you wanted somebody to read your pamphlet, you needed somebody to publish your pamphlet. And one of the ways to get your pamphlet published was under threat. Um, so the Unabomber famously did, uh, did his thing by saying, I will, I will stop the bombings if you, if you publish my thing in the paper. And, uh, it, it eventually worked and, um, no, no, he didn't, he didn't really stop the, the bombings, but he got his thing published and people read it. Um, mm. but that was one of the first, that was one of the earlier examples, I think of, I mean, a really public one, a one that still exists in contemporary memory before you start like digging up all of the weird anarchist archives yeah. of a person using the manifesto uh, through mainstream media and also intentionally being misleading in that manifesto. So while the motivations in the manifesto were generally true, it was trying to get move people to a particular ideology, trying to give people particular reasons. He also told a lot of like, lies in it he introduced himself as a member of a group kept referring to the, the, the we as a collective which was you know an attempt to not look like a lone actor which was a thing that people ran with people were reporting on the unabomber as like who was the who was the group responsible for this it's just a guy it's just like this one dude he lives in a cabin he's kind of a freak 
And uh, but people fell for it. They read they took the manifesto uh, at the, at its word. And um, weirdly, we we have only just started getting better at that. Um, the manifesto, because it was seen and still is seen as a person's last words, you know, it, it's there. There is a kind of an innate trust of it. Um, there's there's an instinct to trust it. Like, why would a person on their on their deathbed or like the forever jail lie? And the answer is that uh, because they're terrorists and terrorists often lie. Mm. There's an interesting, I suppose there's an interesting aspect there of uh, making making the media complicit, um, which I suppose is something which we see as well with reporting of uh, of kind of more contemporary. Uh, more contemporary terrorist manifestos that it's very difficult to uh, to kind of draw a trench between um, between publicizing what they've got to say for themselves and potentially attracting more recruits to the ideology and reporting on and, and, and reporting on the news as like as hap- as happens, um, which I think is something which basically no media outlet really gets right. And now that there is Twitter, which is a kind of a sort of unmanageable arm of media infrastructure, it really, really is impossible to get right. Well, I'm sympathetic to to journalists um, who have a very difficult job of processing a ton of information and then disseminating the information that they deem is of public interest. And terrorism as an attack on the public is of public interest. It is really difficult to deny that a terrorist and their motivations for doing terrorism are not of interest to the people affected. Um, The problem, and this has been the problem forever, even if you go back to war on terror years, um, terrorism requires an audience. It it always does. If a terrorism happens in the forest and no one's around to see it, it doesn't matter. Um, Mm -hmm. there There are loads of failed terrorist attacks or, you know, that just, no one talks about because they don't matter. They had, they had no impact. They did no terror. You did terrorism incorrectly. So they mm-hmm. always have to make content that they know will get coverage. And before the internet, before you were able to self-publish, self-upload, content was designed to be captured by news media. Hostage situations during the Olympics, for example, when all, when all the international coverage would be there. Or uh, even things like 9-11, planned uh, during the morning commute while morning news was airing. Things that they knew would be seen and filmed and uploaded and and shared. Even in our our early 2000s, how much Al-Qaeda material was put on the news? How many clips of those beheading videos did we see? It wasn't even that those videos were meant to recruit, but that content was itself meant to terrorize. And media, while trying to do public interest reporting, was absolutely complicit in that by helping to create this this air of of fear, this terror, uh, by by showing the content that they wanted to be shown. They 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 designed content on on purpose so that it could be it could be shared and reuploaded. Uh, the mm. Christchurch uh, shooter, in particular, with the decision to use a first person perspective to recreate that first person shooter kind of image made video content that would be really easily edited and memed and remixed. So it could continue, continually be shared for years after 
the attack took place. It was one of the most successful pieces of propaganda. That video is more influential than the manifesto. But the manifesto was really important for media coverage. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I guess I was also wondering about, and you sort of touched on a little bit uh, in in that last answer, about how, I, I you know, where we sort of go from manifestos kind of trying to, or like a, a, the manifesto sort of existing within a particular relationship with the media, which is that, uh, you know, it needs to, I, I guess in the case of like manifestos, like made in like the, the 80s and the 90s, um, you know, you there's a sort of like dependence on the media in order to sort of like amplify whatever cause uh this you know a terrorist kind of like has like is trying to advance or like as a recruitment tactic. You know, whereas I suppose now, and I'm thinking about like more kind of contemporary events, and I was while I was writing the notes, I was thinking about uh like incel attacks and stuff, where um like the manifesto also seems to it 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 doesn't necessarily seem to be like advocating or trying to like recruit more but kind of are trying to give off symbols and uh nods to sort of people that are already in the group right like things that that group of people like already kind of complicit like implicitly understand so it feels more like less than an explanation it kind of feels more like a recognition and i wondered what your thoughts were on that um both in the context of like incel terrorism but also just like more like, you know, even stuff like school shootings and everything where manifestos seem to all like was parts of that manifesto also seem to kind of like trying to add, like uh, even make nods to or like recognize digital communities that um, like are then designed or, or then seemingly like valorize them. So anyone who's heard me talk or write before um, knows I hit this point a lot that they read your posts too. Um, and even if we are not in the exact same fringes, um, we, we all exist in a, in a collective digital environment. And when something happens on one end, you will feel the ripples on the other. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they know how their content is being reported. They know how people are reading it. They know how people are, are commenting on it. They themselves spend a lot of time. Unlike, unlike other forms of, of terrorism, I think this is also part of the issue is that uh, we are, as, as a, you know, as a feeble, as, as counterterrorism researchers, practitioners, et cetera, are, are used to a, a threat model in which they don't care if you write about them. Um, Bin Laden wasn't going to like, read your academic piece he didn't care um the the nazis will they they will for sure read it when you write about them they want to be written about they they take note when you write about them and they tailor their future efforts based on on what they how they understand that you reported on them last time one of the things that has been happening and this is partially because of you know influx of volume of manifestos is that they they had to change their their style a little bit it's partially organic and, and partially tactical yeah i mean so i used to when i was like working as like a full-time reporter my a lot of my work initially was about isis and it was about like islamic extremism and it was sort of about um and, and stuff that you've probably seen before like the ways in which like propaganda by isis was sort of used and like how much of it was yeah how much of it was sort of used as like recruitment mechanisms and how much of it was used as kind of like ways to antagonize um 
but it seemed like a bit more clear cut back then. And I'm not sure if that's because I just didn't really know that much um, or uh, whether like you had sort of a different system. But when I look at like uh, conversations around far right extremism, one thing that sort of seems to be um, sort of evident among media people is that they don't really know how to interact with like the types of content that are being produced by um, not only like violent extremists but also just like supporters and like believers in like the ideology that may never sort of like advance to physical violence but are certainly like very happy to propagate like certain elements of it and i sort of wondered whether as someone who's like um someone who's observed this space more than i have or maybe more than phoebe has uh i wondered like what your thoughts were on why is it so difficult for media types to kind of like um, decipher or at least interrogate uh, far-right extremist spaces uh, in the way that like they seem to be much more able to do perhaps with like other forms of extremist groups? Well, there, there's a couple of reasons and none of them will, they'll, they'll all kind of make your tummy feel bad. Uh, the first is <laughs> just the, the hangover from the war on terror content. There was, because that was a, you know, a military-led effort where it was seen as a war, there was an, there was an ontological enemy. There was a the, the, even the image of the the evil jihadist was such like a cultural artifact. You, you look at old uh, like wrestling stuff, and the amount of like mm. racist like <laughs> jingoistic <laughs> like portrayals sure, of yeah. like a, a nondescript Arab terrorist. Americans, mm. the public didn't need much more explanation than that because they were seen as not American. They were seen as inherently evil uh, who hated us and hated our way of life for uh, no important reason whatsoever, had nothing to do with our actions in the region. So that, because of that, the role of putting the propaganda in media was never more complicated than look how bad these guys are. Look how much it justifies our, defense spending. And uh, sure. they were bad and they did suck. Whether or not it justified defense spending, I can't say. But it was mm-hmm. um, it, it was not, in, the public did not need more of an explanation than that. After 9-11, nobody needed more explanation than that. They did this because they hate us, mm-hmm. end of story. The problem with a lot of our, our right-wing, especially domestic actors, is that they are American. And being American is a large part of why they do the things that they do. They, they include their Americanism, they include their whiteness in their ideology, in their, in their efforts, in their manifestos, in their targets, right? They are targeting things that they see yeah. as non-American or non-white. And it, I mean, even if we just broaden it, even beyond just, you know, quote unquote, far right terrorism, which is in itself becoming a, a term that is perhaps misleading, We'll, 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 we'll generalize, you know, non, non-Islamist terrorism in the United States. Yeah. They, the, the, the school shooter or militia guy or, you know, other versions of the domestic terrorist are still seen as somewhat novel and deserving mm-hmm. as, of more investigation to understand their true motives by media because they are not affiliated with a uh, state-approved foreign enemy. And they mm. are American in everything that they do. Usually there's a couple weird exceptions, but even then we Americans tend to see global whiteness as an extension of Americanism. 
so they because that it doesn't it doesn't fit immediately you see you see a a, a nazi do a nazi thing and americans are like yeah. how could this guy who comes from our culture do something racist and it's like well <laughs> right <yeah. laughs> run that sentence back again and we'll see if we can get there um and and mm. because they because they are american uh, media feels a lot more uh loyal to that person they feel a lot more uh interested in in uncovering what could make them turn that way it's why you see a lot more sympathetic coverage of these guys than other types of radicals um mm. even though their radicalization pathways are often like extremely similar um all the, all those isis dudes are just inherently bad and evil but our incel he read too many posts from a nefarious actor and then mm. Whoops! Now he's a terrorist. Like no, I mean, there's other things that have to happen, but we aren't. We are less comfortable talking about those because they are such an indictment of the society that we have built. Hmm. Yeah, I was. I kind of like. Yeah, I kind of sort of assumed that that would be the case. Like, um, I guess then I and I wondered like how that sort of influenced like manifestos as well. Like, um, I wonder whether. I yeah, I wonder whether like because. I, I imagine like for some of for some of the people who are like writing these things or at least sort of sharing these things, they're kind of aware that like it must be more difficult to like pick things apart because a lot of like the motivation is sort of, you know, it, it rather than I guess like the way that I was thinking about it was like rather than manifestos necessarily purporting to reveal a truth that people have kind of been blind to or like been unaware of. Um, in some cases, and I was thinking a bit about like Anders Breivik and like uh, how that manifesto also referenced, uh, it referenced like a number of British columnists, like, uh, unsurprisingly, but it kind of represented or it kind of, um, you, like in parts of its, uh, footnotes or like in its references, it used kind of like existing sort of news articles and research and so on, um, to basically like, uh, at the very least, like sort of justify the actions that he took, but also to sort of be like, well, this attack and this, you know, it's a reaction. It's a reaction to like things that are evident in the fact that like no one's really doing anything from that. I was wondering, like, I don't know whether I'm reading too much into that, but I wonder whether it becomes more difficult to pick apart a manifesto if the person who is like, like carrying out this attack is sort of saying that, well, you know, all this sort of like reasonings and all the justifications are already there and I'm just sort of responding to something uh that is already exist like that already exists to them. Yeah. Um that is one of the things that they figured out how to do that proved to be really, really smart because there is a jihadist could not do that. The 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 barrier of right. proof would be way too high. If if an ISIS guy made a super complicated manifesto about all of the sins of the West and how we and how you know we ourselves justified it and all of that shit, it would not even make it to like the third page of the paper. It would it would still be written off as Islamist attack because it is not of importance yeah. to the American people. We've already decided what that means. But for but for these these types of characters, um, the reason they're able to get away with that is because they know that they will be picked apart in uh public conversation and media mm. is uh really really fascinated by that things things like uh Anders Anders's manifesto um don't come often uh mm. neither do attacks like his it was a level of competence and planning that 
can really only happen when you have someone who's really thought it through. And you have a security apparatus that was just not anticipating that type of threat. There's a reason we haven't had a lot of those since then, despite the fact that it was wildly successful. Similar with Christchurch. Christchurch was another Mm. wildly successful attack, and a couple people have attempted to emulate it. None of them even got close. Um, yeah. And that's that's because we now have at least a security state that knows how to look for that type of threat. Media still struggles with it because the manifestos are bait specifically to them. It includes their quotations. Mm-hmm. It includes their commentary. It includes talking points that they like to hit. And the fact that manifestos are generally inherently dishonest because they are they are an effort to make public conversation move in your direction. The the one that was the most, I think, the most noteworthy in, in recent memory is the Christchurch Manifesto, specifically the gun control one. As as we yeah. most of us know at this point, if you aren't American, maybe you don't. The AR-15 rifle has a uh, huge, huge cultural weight to it in the United States for mm-hmm. both its uh, symbolism in the uh, pro Second Amendment gun rights movement, and for mm. its symbolism in the mass shooter archetype. The reason that so mm. many mass shooters use the AR-15 is not because it is the easiest, cheapest, or even best gun to use in a mass shooting. It is because the AR-15 is the gun you use for a shooting. It is the it is the cultural object that symbolizes your association to the rest of the movement and the christchurch shooter despite not being american understood america's gun politics enough to include that in his manifesto where he was like i am doing this because i hope that it will incite a uh gun rights conversation in the u.s right yeah and the thing that the U.S. media picked up on is that there were people who were out there who were like, well, the reason he's doing this is because he wants you to do a gun ban, and now you're going to do a gun ban just like the terrorists wanted. And then there's the other side mm. saying, well, you know, he he's he wanted you to get mad about us doing the gun ban. That's what you're doing what the terrorists wanted. It's like, no, you're both doing what the terrorists wanted because yeah. what he wanted was for you to argue about it on Fox News. You morons. Like, they... Yeah. He... It is it is the 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 meta conversation, right? It is the he put that stuff in there because he he knew what people would would fight about. Because if your goal is you know accelerationism and you want to increase the the tensions in in society, you you do violence with the culture war issue. It's the smartest thing to do. Um, mm. whether or not our I, I think our media have gotten they've definitely gotten a little better with it, partially because I've um yelled at a lot of them uh but also (laughs) because our the volume of manifestos has increased so and in as the volume of manifestos increased so did the monotony you know media just didn't feel the need to cover them all the same way anymore there's a couple manifestos out there you just don't hear about it's not very good they're not very interesting didn't get a lot of dead people associated with them and as a result of both this and other organic forces on the internet, terrorist media had to get stranger and more esoteric in order to stay relevant. Yes, yeah, right. Tarrant had the right idea that if you put in a culture war issue, people will argue about it, which will keep you in the news longer. But that only lasted so long, especially when COVID hit. And all of a sudden, 
gun control talk was started falling out of favor with pundits because who cares? Yeah. Yeah. And this kind of like got me thinking about manifestos as content as well. Right. Because like in the same way that like, you know, you still see or see like other form, like, and I think this is, this is, this speaks to kind of content generally where as you sort of kind of get towards overabundance, you know, where you have like, uh, it becomes harder to sort of like not only get people's attentions, but to like maintain people's attention. And like a manifesto is something that you need to read and like, you know, uh, not to be like, you know, uh, not not to be uh, a guy, uh, old guy yells at cloud at this, but like, you know, these young people are too busy on their phones scroll, like scrolling <laughs> through videos and stuff. But I, I guess like the point I was trying to make was uh, the point I'm trying to make is that like, it be, yeah, I, I, as with all other forms of content creators, like people who are trying to sort of like shock in order to get attention, find themselves struggling because even like in the face of disaster people are sort of so used to kind of like having so many new things being thrown at them in a short amount of time that like you know not only do you sort of have to be more ambitious if you're going to like cause that type of shock and all but you kind of like have to be more dangerous and i sort of wondered whether like and i wanted to get your thoughts on this about whether um like uh, radical, like, you know, extremists and like, you know, right-wing extremists and stuff are becoming, because they seem to be much more attuned to sort of the workings of like how online culture like develops and evolves, whether they're also becoming aware that like, you know, uh, in terms of like manifestos as like a posting strategy, it seems to kind of be extremely limited just by the amount of content that people now consume and like how they're sort of responding to that. Well, one thing about terrorists is that they are young people. Almost always. We get older, mm. the demographic for terrorism stays the same. So they are getting more tech savvy. They are they are they are getting smarter about how their content is going to be used online. Uh, because they are now yeah. digital natives. They are people who grew up in an online environment, an online uh social community. So they 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 know what they're doing. And just like the trend mm. of terrorism has gone from groups corporate structures hierarchies to more de- to sell activity to then generally decentralized what they call uh, a lone wolf which is a bullshit word but you can accurately call them mm. lone actors um mm. individuals who are unaffiliated with a specific group who then go out and do violence um their content their 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 manifestos have gotten more decentralized as well and mm. they are really familiar with the process after a mass shooting because at this point we all are one of the points I make all the time is like at this point from this point on every mass shooter will have been in a mass shooting drill they all know mm. you are hiding under the desk with the lights off they were there the last time you did it <laughs> like we yeah. need to change our threat matrix to account for that the thing with manifestos mm. is that having that that simple PDF of use of the terrorists' words, especially when the words and motivations got really monotonous, right? Even the Buffalo shooter, his manifesto was like mostly just Terrence's manifesto. Yeah. They learned that the thing that keeps people engaged and interested is uh, making it making it strange, making it a puzzle. They know that the second they do anything, their social mm. media archives are going to be investigated by every journalist and uh, true crime fan under the sun who can find it when it's still up. Yeah. 
They fill their manifestos with memes and puzzles that don't make sense, knowing a couple of like old normies won't get it and will then put it on Twitter, which will be funny, and then will be shared by other extremists as they make fun of them. They know that the more weird connections they appear to have, they follow a bunch of Proud Boy accounts and they follow a bunch of neo-Nazis that when media writes about them, they are going to associate with them with groups they may have had nothing to do with. Yeah. They, they, they lay that bait on purpose because they know it is going to be the thing that keeps them engaged longer because they are at a point where like they aren't really expecting to recruit anybody new with their manifesto it's, right these, yeah. this is that that isn't that isn't content that's going to like truly uh inspire a lot of people anymore they need to control the media atmosphere they need the attention economy they need people to look at mm. them as long as possible spend time trying to figure them out spend time being invested in them and that is how they're going to keep people engaged with them. That is how they're going to potentially make new shooters as they leave behind the exact details of a specific ideological framework and instead work on encompassing a cultural image of a mass shooter. Yeah. And I guess, and I, and this is where I kind of keep coming back to like the idea of, you know, just be these kind of manifestos and these types of like this type of this like content uh, when these attacks happen, almost being, not necessarily like recruitment tactics or even just like the idea of spreading them, like spreading their messages. And I, I wouldn't like sort of recommend anyone like spread, you know, obviously like terrorist messages online and stuff, but more is kind of like a form of recognition. This idea that like, you know, I, I'm trying to remember who the shooter was, but were it could have been the incel guy actually but when his manifesto sort of came like comes out and uh on like you know uh even on like incel kind of uh sections of twitter and everything where they're kind of picking a part of this manifesto that has been like openly distributed um and they're kind of like recognizing parts of it uh and those parts of it being ones that oh he could have only got that if he sort of like existed in the same sort of like digital ecosystem that we did right if he like read the same articles or like saw the same videos or interacted with like certain types of people and it was more of this idea that like oh one of us kind of like did this and how do you kind of respond to you know and how would they sort of respond to that i don't know enough to kind of like make any judgment as to whether that sort of distributional pathology like is necessarily like is a hundred percent accurate, but it sort of seems as if it's much like this. This type of content is much more about recognizing people that are already like in that space and sort of kind of being like, yeah, you know, uh, this is legitimate, and uh, you're I'm one of you, but in kind in the flesh. So, you even to just bring it back from like regular posters or or specific ecosystems because one of the things that i see a lot and a lot of people other people see this too is that almost every time there is an attack these days even if the person is like i was 100 percent a member of this movement the other mm. people in that movement will usually be like that guy's a fed up like fbi put that right. man out yes, there to make yeah, us yeah. feel bad which they 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 know that's part of the gambit now um, and part of the reason, like they, they understand this because the, obviously the security state has gotten much more interested in like stopping these guys, not interested enough, I might say, but interested enough that, uh, that people who are within, uh, domestic terrorist movements are now getting like a little bit afraid. Um, mm. there has always been a codependent relationship between media and terrorism and the security state and terrorism. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're the same but they need each other. Mm. Um, they need, they need, they need the attention from media. They need the notoriety from law enforcement and 
law enforcement needs them as justification for their budget and media needs mm -hmm. them for content. And so they, they work together, whether or not they, they know it. And because the attention economy, because the way that media has shifted from journalistic articles, papers to influencer content, mm. so has the style of terrorism. These things, these things right. go hand in hand. As our as our media consumption evolves, terrorism evolves to to meet it. Our counterterrorism apparatus, at least our most public scholars and most public commentators, are, for mm -hmm. lack of a better term, influencers. This is a thing I'm highly critical of. It's part of the reason I keep my account private, um, and I, I I try to stay out of the public eye as much as possible because I am not I'm not mm -hmm. interested in being a, a terrorism influencer. But all of our guys who go out to do their, the big one, they know that we tweet. They know yeah. that we post. They read our tweets and our posts. They know what content we're looking at. They know which things that we're interested in because we talk about it literally all the time. And so they're able to tailor mm. their content to become part of that, that ecosystem. And at that point, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter if, uh, mm. you know, they're being you know, perceived properly, or if their their work is is accurate, they have they have the attention, right? They have the people they need looking at it. They have all the people mm -hmm. who are looking for answers. Then you know, adding their random favorite counterterrorism researcher. They have all the journalists running in a circle, gathering quotes. They have people saying don't post it. They have the people saying do post it. They have the true crime people who are investigating because they think they're really going to crack it. They're going to figure out how this guy did it conspiracy theorists saying it was a fed up they fully get the bit they understand the entire right. whirlwind around it and they it, it's really hard to screw that up once you know what you're targeting hmm yeah, that's, that's a very good point. I'm just conscious that like we're kind of running close to time and I sort of wanted to uh end our conversation although like I have so many I really do have like a lot of questions for this just based on like how much this space is like how yeah, I, I, and maybe actually this kind of is a good way to sort of go into the final question, which is that, as you mentioned, like media have sort of gotten a bit better at like deciphering or understanding and contextualizing these manifestos. But one thing that you've criticized a bunch and also I've seen like other people in like disinformation spaces criticize is how when um, these types of attacks kind of occur or when these types of events sort of occur and manifestos are sort of either like purposely discovered or uploaded uh around about the time that everyone is kind of like scroll, you know, scrolling for answers. Um, yeah, I, I think that like among sort of like a general population, some of whom like don't work at news outlets and some of them who aren't like kind of researchers who have like um, kind of experience in the field and everything, the way in which like, you know, manifestos are sort of distributed, uh, the way in which like terrorist content is distributed and the way in, in which like it is interpreted during those moments when people are still sort of waiting for official answers. And I wondered whether like, whether you had any advice or had any ins like, yeah, I, I guess advice is the best word of like how to kind of um, navigate that impulse of like wanting to uh, find out you know, I guess the idea of like taking the manifesto at face value when these types of attacks happen and when you have like documents and content that is uploaded that purport to explain what's been going on, um, how should like people kind of interpret it? How should they sort of interact with it? And what things should they bear in mind when um, 
like the stuff is going viral and also like claims about why they did it and like the kind of systemic reasons why um you know they were motivated to do this attack are sort of kind of stated at face value Ooh, loaded question um for <laughs> for practitioners for public commentators for anybody whose job it is to make sense of this in public i would ask you to think very very critically about what your job is and what you want the outcome to be there are things that are of interest to the public. There are things that are of interest to the public that maybe still shouldn't be shared to the public because the consequences of sharing them outweigh the benefits. It is up to you to make those decisions very, very carefully. And if you feel the need to speculate or interrogate or investigate or discuss, you do that in private. You, don't, you do not put that out there until you are positive of the thing that you want to say. For regular people mm. who exist in a world where terrorism happens and it's just kind of an ongoing looming threat, it's a deeply terrifying and upsetting thing. People who have are part of a community that's been attacked, people who are particularly vulnerable to attack due to minority status, um, teens that go to school. Um, I, <laughs> I I understand how 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 much you want to be able to name the thing that hurt you. It is mm. an extremely understandable instinct. Um, you know, naming it is, is the thing that will let you stop it. The thing I will warn you and everybody about is that you are always going to be five years behind the thing that actually happened. Whatever ecosystem you think you are looking at, whatever group, whatever network that you think you understand, they organized everything in private before you saw it. So whatever you are looking mm. at now is the manifestation of something else that you didn't see. And it is the version of it that they know you will be looking at. So mm. when you see a guy do an attack wearing a particular shirt, got to ask yourself, why did he want me to see that shirt? Not, he was a member of the organization represented on the shirt, but why did he want me to see the shirt? And sometimes mm. the answer is easy. He was promoting the efforts of the group. Sometimes the answer is less easy. Mm. He wanted me to see him wearing the shirt. And then you have to spend a lot more time investigating that because this is now... This is now outside the scope of our more traditional understanding of threats. This is not individual yeah. groups. These are not individual concrete political goals. They don't have clear motivations. This is now a game of telephone. This thing has this yeah. thing is like a, a wildly absurdist meme that every iteration mm. has gotten more and more abstract until we are now at a point that it is like completely divorced from its original original meaning of the Sherlock your way back to what happened here. So a lot of these different yeah. groups, a lot of these different movements, a lot of these different individuals, different subcultures all stem from similar movements. Yeah. You have to understand that the break happened before you were watching it. And now that you see it, you have to be extremely careful to not misinterpret what you're looking at despite how satisfying yeah. or 
or tempting it it may be. I, I think my, my favorite version of this, you know, the simple version, the the not scary version, is a uh, uh, dank Brandon, a meme that now means <laughs> absolutely fucking nothing. If you are in a history textbook and you have to go back to, well, there were these guys at a NASCAR <laughs> event and they were saying fuck Joe Biden, and then they uh, they asked the guy what they were saying, and then the reporter said, oh, they're saying let's go Brandon. And then that became a joke that meant fuck Joe Biden, and people thought Brandon was funny so they started calling him joe brandon and then uh he started doing some cool yeah. policy and they started calling him dark brandon that was that was cool because he was like an evil wizard and then um then he legalized weed and then they started calling him dag brandon because that was funny and it's like you were now so far beyond <laughs> the original the original point yeah. and it's being used by such very very different people that if you then come in late and you yeah. look at dank brandon and you're like why are trump supporters calling him that you're like you are so off base yeah, it does. And again, like it does sort of feel like it's one of those, you know, we've we've been doing this show for a long time. And, um, you know, sometimes it does sort of feel like even we're kind of struggling to sort of keep up to pace with like ongoing memes and trends and like just kind of form the discourse. And I don't know, like when it comes to sort of like right wing, especially like the sort of aesthetics of right wing, um, uh, like memetics and everything. And, you know, you're right. Like I, I, I don't necessarily know how to like phrase this like, adequately because it's something that i've been thinking about for a while and i haven't really been able to articulate but just kind of like the weirdness of like memes that kind of you know or memes that were appropriated by the far right and definitely sort of went as far as to sort of inform like lots of kind of far right cultural strategy and even policy but sort of ex because they exist in sort of like mainstream internet mm -hmm. like it becomes it's not doesn't it doesn't take too long for that to then just be like remixed and reappropriated yeah. sometimes like deliberately and sometimes just by like the nature i mean like wojaks are a really good example of mm -hmm. this right um and it's sort of like well as a researcher as someone who just like does a show like ours about internet culture like what do you kind of do with that because you can't really say that like oh yeah this kind of meme has like extremist roots because i'm not sure whether that's like accurate or not but at the same so I, and i guess like the, the the kind of real final question i have is really about like how like how and it's not really more of a question than sort of like an observation but it must be quite difficult to like talk about like the kind of threat that these types of like, or, you know, uh, kind of, uh, far right radicalized cultures, um, how they sort of form online when they're kind of using material that exists on a mainstream internet. And the reason why we can sort of say mainstream is just because of like the, like when we talk about the internet, we are talking about a handful of websites that like most people use. Yeah. Right. And even if you have like the more extreme elements that are sort of using private channels and discords and everything, like because of like how small the internet has sort of become like the idea of like that type of material making it into mainstream digital spaces and then by extension into the real world just becomes it's inevitable that's going to become faster and it's also just going to become like more common right and yeah. i wonder how much of this is also like or how much of like the kind of inability to necessarily articulate what's happening does sort of emerge out of the kind of condition in which like everyone has sort of been forced to use the same websites um, on a much smaller and much more highly controlled version of like online culture. We are all on the same internet and we all exist in the same society, like it or not. And like I mentioned before, one of the one of the great problems with how we approach these things is that we keep trying to approach them 
as if we are not products of the same environment because we want to mm. distance ourselves from the the horrors, right? It's really difficult for us to to comprehend that people who live in our neighborhoods, physical or digital, are people capable mm. of, uh, you know, such atrocities. And uh, it's a really difficult thing to do the kind of introspection of like, hey, we are all drinking out of the same well here. Uh, mm. Whatever went wrong it, it it we need we need to interrogate that more closely beyond just the well is poisoned because we know that we know mm-hmm. that um but i didn't become a killer and you did so what happened i will also mm-hmm. say it is both a uh, a great privilege and a great burden to exist in a time where we can watch culture evolve in real time we are mm-hmm. you know back when we were doing cave paintings as the fundamental form of human artistic expression. <laughs> you could you could you could look back as far as the as the generations go, but I I can watch new language develop over the course of a weekend. Like it is right. it is a the human brain was not meant to process that much knowledge. Um and mm. if you've ever had the experience of like going camping for three days and coming back and all of a sudden not being able to understand what people are saying on Twitter, like it, it, it feels like you've woken up from a time capsule and uh, you have to go back and find the missing link of like the Kim Kardashian tweet that made everybody completely change their dialect. Uh, then you know what I'm talking about. These, mm. when these communities are, are doing something in a place that you aren't seeing and they're evolving in a, in a way that you aren't seeing and then they all of a sudden come back to your attention. It it feels like you are looking at a completely novel thing. Like you are, you might as well be looking at an alien. Um, and yeah. it's like, no, this thing was just evolving in the deep ocean where you weren't watching, but on the same goddamn planet. You, uh, this is not a, this is not an extraterrestrial. It's like a weird octopus that evolved to live in low pressure mm. environments. And you're looking at this fucked up thing David Attenborough is showing you. You're like this is this is definitely for sure from outer space, and I'm here to tell you, no man. <laughs> we just we just we just put it in like we put it in 4chan for a while, and it came out like this. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, I understand why like regular people really struggle with that, especially because our former threat matrix in pre digital era and a war on terror era for all of our journalists, for all of our law enforcement, for all all the people who have made a career out of this professionally who aren't like Gen Z have have always been taught to think of this in terms of groups. You drone strike the leader. Mm. That's how you solve this problem. You you put them. You do a missile about it, and then you level a small town. And the problem goes away. Is how we were thinking <laughs> about it, and it worked out great, if I recall. And mm. you can't do that anymore, and it's causing everyone to like melt down to the point that they are trying to attribute groups and names and titles to places where there aren't any. Gen Z is better about yeah. this because Gen Z knows what it's like to grow up in a series of overlapping communities online, where if you tell a Gen Z person, like, mm. oh, he's like a type of guy, they're like, oh, got it. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. you, can, you yeah. can do that with like a weird level of, of specificity. It's like, oh, yeah, no, he's like, a, he's like one of those like weird Breaking Bad fans who got like a little bit too into this one thing. And now he posts like this. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, I went to high school with that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it is, a, it, is, it is a type of like personality profile uh, rather than yeah. a discrete like ideological movement where you have to be able to look at a person and figure out what sort of like overlapping uh, forces are yeah. acting on them to move them in a certain way. And yeah. if they get the wrong ones, they move and also, violent. Yeah. 
and also just take it seriously because like i'm just thinking now like there's a, like an incredibly funny but also very dark story about like a british far-right guy uh who was like recently unveiled like his identity was unveiled by like a newspaper although i think that people knew who it was for quite a long time um but when his name was sort of revealed in the mainstream like stories were sort of being shared around like you know sh- shared on the internet and uh a mutual of mine uh was like oh i remember this guy he used to be a I, I can't remember what football team it was and i'm really worried that like I, like the football fan who like probably makes up or they will get really mad if i say the wrong one um so i'm just gonna say that he was like a fan and hope it doesn't offend anyone like football fan and that his kind of process towards like becoming like a neo-nazi uh was because on football uh twister community someone made fun of him because his rabbit just died um and like just that sort of combination of words was just like i'm sorry like what like please just like because i was wasn't used to it like the way that i was used to sort of analyzing like people who were sort of drawn into terrorist groups or like people who were just drawn into extremist movements as you mentioned were like oh this person came from like you know they studied at like a particular kind of uh school and like in that school they went to a particular religious center and at that religious center there was like you know this preacher and this preacher had links to so and so like a lot of it was just kind of like you know i don't i don't yeah. think a lot of it was particularly accurate at measuring like or like kind of figuring out why this person sort of turned to an extremist movement but it was very very formalized and it was very much like within that sort of like think tank wonkish framework of like you know everyone has to have these associations and those associations uh link back to a very formal network of which there is a leader and like you know so on whereas i think with these ones it's like well no everything is decentralized but also as you've mentioned like the people like how their identities are formed are sort of this like hybrid of like digital like yeah this hybrid of like where they are like geographically and materially but also very much the overlapping fandoms of which they exist in and how again because of like how like accelerated much of like the platforms are but also how small they are it is very easy for those for more overlaps to happen and for like things to happen within like a multiplicity of overlaps which becomes very difficult to analyze in not just in real time but in like an accelerated real time i will also say it is it is a Getting into terrorism because your rabbit died is literally the plot of Doom, um, which is <laughs> which is great. Um, so, like, if 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 your buddy has a rabbit die, like, check in on him. <laughs> just just be nice with just be nice to him. Yeah, yeah. No, no, there's like, like more to this guy's. Yeah, yeah there's be more. Friendly yeah, about yeah, it. If, you're, if, you're, if your homie if your homie loses the beloved pet, like, keep you know watch watch that dude closely. Um, bring him a lasagna. Be friendly. Um, it's a it's a number one gateway yeah. issue. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, people are, people are the result of, uh, cultural apparatuses, uh, interacting with them and, Mm -hmm. and almost literally nobody online is part of only a singular community. The exception might be some baby boomers who are like really into very particular political communities like QAnon and stuff. And that's partially just because they are not digital natives. They are like, they're online for a particular purpose. I'm online because it's where I hang out. Um, I'm online the same way I'm Mm -hmm. like in my house. Like it's, it's just like, yeah, this is right. where you go. I go online and I look at funny posts and I talk to my friends. So I, yeah. yeah. The, the, the other problem is of course, like when you, when you start thinking that way, when you start, you know, for lack of a better term, profiling that way, yeah, this guy likes this collection of memes. He got way too into this TV show. He interacted with this community. Oh, I know what they're like. Oh, he did this over here. Uh Oh, like those risk factors are both not a thing that most of our regular professionals can understand because you kind of have to be there you kind of have to be in that milieu Mm. to make sense of it and 
two, it becomes like a really dangerous type of profiling where you, you, you yeah. end up with just like, you know, you can't, you know, obviously a wild exaggeration. You can't have the cops knock on your door because you're a Breaking Bad fan who got a little bit too weird. Um, right. that, that obviously can't be how this works. But because, you know, I, I've talked before about how mass shooter culture is a thing. These are all different mm. parts of digital culture. They're all parts of different digital fandoms. They're all part of different digital identities. And it's those overlapping things that end up being most important. Much like our guy with yeah. the uh, with the rabbit, however, um, I, 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 while I very much understand um, people's extreme resistance to being told like, yeah, well, that guy was mentally ill. Because yes, it stigmatizes mental illness and it's also extremely dismissive of ideological and hate-based factors for violence. People yeah. are also just crazy though. That like that does happen. You will get a guy who has an an underlying thing who is then exposed to the wrong type of content and motivation, and those things mix in a way that's bad. Mm-hmm. And if you only had one or the other, it wouldn't have happened. You require the mix, right? So it, it, it's the the layers of complexity are not the kind of things that play well in media, and they mm-hmm. it's also. Again, I will acknowledge it's a it's, it's a difficult and uncomfortable mix of things to work with, especially if you are a a victim of terror, especially if you were targeted yeah. based on a marginalized identity. The last thing you want to do is be like, oh, well, yeah, he was super racist, but he also, you know, watched a little bit too much TV and uh, made mm-hmm. him a little strange. We've tried it before with video games, right? There was there was decades of um, yeah. video games made him violent. And it's like, no. That's stupid, and you know it. <laughs> Don't stop. Um, but is there is it the video games, or is it there's a very particular community involved in certain types of gaming? Like, which one of those things is the bigger influence? And I would argue yeah. almost every time the thing that is more influential than any particular type of media, any particular type of content, even any particular type of propaganda, is the community that engages with it. That is in the social environment being there, being brought up in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, and I think this would make, make really interesting, like follow up at some point in the future. Cause like, yeah, uh, I am very, fa- I'm fascinated in like a very horrified way about, <laughs> about, uh, com- like community, like communication or like about like communities that form around video games. And yeah, just like my very limited time on discord as the old man who's stashed, who like shouts at clouds. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really fascinating subject. And I think that we could do like a whole, like another episode on it and maybe we should at some point. Um, but no, I was going to say thank you, Emmy, for joining us. Uh, we, I, I really appreciate it. We really appreciate it. And your work's really, really good. If people want to like follow the stuff that you're doing, uh, how can they do that? You can request to follow me on Twitter at GamerGirlWrites. I probably will not approve your request. Uh, I keep my media private on purpose. <laughs> you will find out when I am doing something because I will appear like Clippy next to your screen and tell you that you're fucking up. Or I will, uh, you'll just, you'll be scrolling through your morning news and you'll be like, oh shit, Emmy's quoted in this article. That's how you find me. You, you don't find me. I appear when you need me. Yeah. Yeah. You find, yeah, you I'll find, find you. them. Don't worry oh. about it. Yeah. You stay, you stay where you okay. are. Like a, like a child lost in the mall. That's great. I will find you when you need me. <laughs> okay well we hope to like have you back on again it'll be, really, it'll be really fun to like have you back on to do like uh to uh yeah just like talk about anything really um uh, and thank you for listening to this free episode of Ten Thousand posts we really appreciate it as mentioned up top we do have a patreon you can subscribe as for like as little as five bucks a month you get lots of really good content that's on patreon.com forward slash 10k post podcast and then finally 
Uh, this show is produced by Devon. You can follow them at Devon underscore on Earth, and you can also listen to their podcast, which is called Kill James Bond. Uh, all the relevant links uh, for the show, including the article we spoke about, will be in the show notes, as well as all the other projects that we are doing at the moment. And uh, yeah, I would uh, very much be, we would be very appreciative if you could uh, you could uh, uh, help support that as well uh, to make us. Yeah, I, I don't know, just like all our content really good just listen to all of it i'm so tired right now so i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna uh i'm gonna say uh thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one bye